Protests in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and today, Florida. States across the country have seen protests as people grow more concerned about the economic fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C. These protests come as yesterday, President Trump outlined his three-phase plan for opening up America again, where states can gradually ease their lockdowns. Our approach outlines three phases in restoring our economic life. We are not opening all at once, but one careful step at a time. And some states will be able to open up sooner than others. Some states are not in the kind of trouble that others are in. This is a reversal from his earlier comments. Trump now promised that governors would be handling the process themselves with help from the federal government. Governors will be empowered to tailor an approach that meets the diverse circumstances of their own states. Every state is very different. They're all beautiful. We love them all, but they're very, very different. If they need to remain closed, we will allow them to do that. And if they believe it is time to reopen, we will provide them the freedom and guidance to accomplish that task and very, very quickly, depending on what they want to do. Joining me now for more on how governors are taking the lead is CNN senior Washington correspondent Jeff Zeleny. He traveled to Michigan this week, one of the hardest hit states in this coronavirus crisis. And he chatted with the governor there, Gretchen Whitmer, who has been on the front lines of this battle. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. David, thank you. So before I get into your uh, the substance of your trip to Michigan, you're the first person I've talked to that has been on an airplane. And I'm just wondering, what was it like just traveling during this time for this assignment? I will say it was uh, sort of surreal in a haunting and peaceful way. Uh, the biggest difference, I had a 6.15 a.m. flight to Detroit on Wednesday morning, and I wanted coffee. No coffee at all because everything's closed in the airport and on planes, they just hand you a bottle of water and hand sanitizer. That is it. But not complaining at all because, of course, so many workers on the front lines there. But it was uh, about 20 people or so were on my flight, which I was a little surprised by. Uh, But the airports are just uh, really empty. In fact, I... Um, I documented this on my Instagram account, just seeing the Detroit airport coming back uh, last night at 6 p.m., normally bustling a big screen of President Trump in his news conference to an absolutely empty airport. It was pretty striking. Yeah, I saw that on your Insta. It blew my mind. It like reminded me of Vanilla Sky, that movie in Times Square. It was empty, that Tom Cruise movie. I just, a place that you normally see so crowded. So Jeff, to the purpose of your trip as to why you left your quarantine and went out there to Michigan to meet with Governor Whitmer and get a sense of what was on the ground there. I We all saw those pictures of those protests. You heard some of that at the top of the podcast. How did you assess? You've seen a lot of political protests in your time as a political reporter across the country. What did this protest look like? What did you make of it? Who organized it? What was your take of what you were witnessing about the concern these Michiganders were expressing? Well, David, in many respects, it was so normal. It was something that we've seen so many times before. Uh, it was a mix of a Tea Party rally from, say, 2010 or so, when people you know, were surrounding the state capitol across the country with a Don't Tread on Me flags. It was the mix of a, a Trump presidential uh, rally and a mix of any type of normal protest rally. The only difference, of course, is the time in which we're living. The fact that it was happening at all was so surreal. And it was a 
drive-by protest. It was a demonstration uh, meant for people to stay in their vehicles. It was called Operation uh, Gridlock to descend on downtown Lansing around the state capitol, which they did for five hours or so intentionally blocked everything off. I actually had to uh, park my car and walk about a mile to get to the state capitol. But the difference was that this is playing out during a pandemic. And I was struck by the dozens and dozens and dozens of people who were walking down the sidewalk, standing on the steps of the capitol, completely ignoring every medical um, um, advice you know, to a socially distance and to stay away. Very few had masks. So it was really a situation that it was not only flaunting the the rules, but just also common sense. But it struck me at that moment, David, as I was standing on North Capitol Avenue, I'll remember this for the rest of the campaign, that we are seeing a collision between the public health battle and the political fight. And these are becoming joined. And that was something to me that it was playing out. I think it will play out every day for the rest of this campaign and beyond. But there is politics involved in this as well. So never mind the fact. The reason we went to Michigan, we should point out, it is the third highest death toll of any state in the country. And it is having a huge public health crisis and to see thousands of people protesting. And what they were doing, of course, is protesting Governor Gretchen Whitmer's decision to essentially shut the economy down there. And people were um, you know, coming out as part of an organized protest organized by Michigan conservative groups to protest her. But what they were also doing, of course, were uh, protesting you know, the reality that this uh, pandemic is affecting all of us. Well, that you said there, there's the public health component of this. You mentioned there's a political component playing out. It's also an economic component playing out, and that feeds into the politics as well. But they are also distinct, right? I mean, there is a real economic pain, but there is also organized political protesting around that. I mean, and uh, uh, how those two merge throughout this campaign is going to be just unbelievably important for us to stay on top of and continue to report out and uh, observe. Just a quick thing, the uh, you know, I don't think we should dismiss these organized protests, protests that are happening across the country in Florida, in Kentucky, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania. Yes, they are organized by some um, conservative groups, some uh, Tea Party-like groups, but that doesn't mean the anger is not there. Most protests are organized, I mean, on both sides, on liberal sides and and the conservative side, but the anger is still there. And that is something that... um, I was struck by just a couple signs and I didn't talk to a ton of people because I was trying to really keep my distance. But looking at all the handmade signs, there were some who stayed in their vehicles uh, and this one sign about we own a gardening company, we want it to stay open. So that is why Michigan is kind of at the forefront of this that uh, the governor's been very aggressive in terms of uh, rules and crackdowns here. Um, And it is something that the economics of all this, one million people, nearly a quarter of the workforce in Michigan are applying for unemployment benefits. That is the economic reality here that this is playing out in. It's just astonishing. I mean, that that number is staggering. No, I, I don't dismiss it at all, the fact that it's organized. I agree with you, protests are organized. I also don't dismiss the fact that it's just a small sliver of folks who are out there protesting. Uh, If you look at all the public polling, the notion of staying 
you know, getting an economy open right now versus public health guidance, overwhelmingly Americans, and you see this in state-by-state polling too, are in favor of sticking with the guidelines that are in place now and are very trepidatious about uh, returning to normal life, even if guidelines are listed. But as I said on our network conference call the other morning, uh, just because it's a small sliver or a minority that's in protest, we shouldn't at all discount its political potency. Uh, That's exactly what the Tea Party was. Tea Party was never a majority position in the country, but it had an amazing power inside our politics, you know, so much so that I think it's safe to argue it paved the path to Donald Trump's presidency. I think no question. The thing that was particularly discordant about this, not only the fact that it was the, you know, music playing, a party-like atmosphere, if you will, when people literally are dying, was the fact that a lot of Trump supporters were there. And this giant, uh, Trump trailer, it's called, Trump Unity Trailer. It goes from rallies to rallies. I've seen it across the country. It was parked right there in front of the state capitol. And, you know, hundreds of people, if not more, were holding uh, Trump flags. You would think that he's not involved in this, that he is not also asking people to uh, keep their social distance. So that is what is so curious to me, that President Trump and what he did, you know, on Thursday, which we'll talk about, you know, really giving a lot of leeway to these states. Uh, they were protesting some of the support. So he, that is what's interesting to me. He could shut this down. He and he alone probably could uh, stop these protests from happening. But of course, that is not in his oh, interest. Oh, Jeff, he's, now the president is fueling it. I mean, just a few moments before you and I started this podcast, he tweeted out a tweet, liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota. Uh, he So he that is what's fascinating. Is feeding that frenzy. He cannot fix the economy by November, but he can, try and pass the blame to Democrats. So in a lot of these states with Democratic governors, it'll be fascinating to see how this plays out. But at the end of the day, uh, every presidential election that we've covered and certainly we've studied has been a referendum on the president in terms of the economy. We'll see if this is different or not. But the amount of uh, sort of split-screen messaging from the White House is fascinating uh, when you watch those protesters holding Trump flags. It was amazing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons you mentioned the public health reasons and and the economic numbers there are obviously two important reasons to visit Michigan. The other is President Trump put Gretchen Whitmer in the spotlight early on in this process. He attacked her. He called her that woman governor out in Michigan. And uh, again, part of what you're saying is sort of split messaging coming out of the White House because at times he's sort of been more kind and gracious in his words to her. But he started a public spat with her. You sat down with her. How is she balancing getting what she needs for her state? And what's her reaction to when the president sort of takes her on in that way? Well, it's fascinating. She is 15 months on the job. She was elected in November of 2018. And, you know, she's been around Michigan politics for a long time. She was a state legislator and attorney general, uh, now a new governor. And the context of Michigan is so important. President Trump, of course, won Michigan in 2016 by 10,704 votes. That is a number that is ingrained in in the mind of every Democrat there. She won uh, two years later. And so now this is sort of seen as this proxy fight. But she uh, very clearly, I asked her directly what she um, was thinking the moment that she heard the president of the United States call her that woman in Michigan. And she said she didn't sleep that night. 
she was afraid that her um, animosity toward him or some things that she has said would keep Michigan uh, from getting the aid it needed. These are governors in crisis mode. So she absolutely acknowledged that she has adjusted some of her language to try and get what she wants. You've seen a lot of Democratic governors do this. Uh, Gavin Newsom in California you know, flatters the president. He praises the president. Well, California has gotten a lot of what it wants. So she is, uh, is trying to keep politics out of it. But I also asked her how this affects her relationship and negotiating relationship with the president. I'll start with this. You know, I don't um, go looking for fights, but I don't back down from one either. And the fact of the matter is right now, I can't afford to have fights with anybody. I've got to make as many alliances as I possibly can. And I should be able to count on the federal government. So clearly talking about alliances with the federal government, and she talks about her strong working relationship with Vice President Mike Pence. We should point out, the vice president is really getting a lot of this work done in these calls with governors. And David, one thing that I was really struck by that happened this week, we're seeing these alliances of governors across the country. Certainly Andrew Cuomo's leading one in the Northeast and Gavin Newsom's leading one in the West. But the one in the Midwest is very interesting to me. Seven states, of those seven states, five of the governors are Democrats, Two are Republicans. The governor of Indiana, Eric Holcomb, Republican, who was a protege of Mike Pence, longtime party leader there, uh, and Ohio's governor, Mike DeWine, of course, a leading Republican in all this. That is their regional alliance, that there is a bipartisan alliance. So in some respects, as the president is saying liberate Michigan, he didn't tweet out liberate Indiana or liberate Ohio. So that's where the politics of this is so blatant. But Governor Whitmer and other Democratic governors in very key swing states for this president now have um, some bipartisan backing and some support in their regional area. And I thought that was fascinating. Overall, it's been extraordinary to see how governors have you know, really been on the front lines of this crisis and have joined together in ways I cannot recall in two decades of covering national politics and more uh, of seeing these governors of both parties come together. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned, the bipartisan sort of Midwest coalition, already we're starting to see like little differences even within them, right? I mean, uh, Mike DeWine is ready to open up certain pieces on May 1st. Gretchen Whitmer, not so sure exactly where her state will be and will look like come two weeks from now. I do wonder if as you said, you see the politics of this, if we will see some divide between red states and blue states, between uh, Republican governors and Democratic governors in the way things come back online. Jeff, one of the things, you mentioned her reaction to President Trump, but you also asked Governor Whitmer, like while you were there, you could hear those protests you were describing outside. What was her reaction to her strict you know, social distancing and stay-at-home order and the continuation of it was clearly getting this reaction outside. Um, what was her reaction to those protesters? David, it was so striking. Uh, after walking outside on the Capitol grounds, we went up into the uh, George Romney State Office Building. Of course, he's the father of Senator Mitt Romney, uh, former governor of Michigan there. And we're sitting in her office on the second floor of this building and you can see the state capitol and you can see these protesters, but more than that, you can hear them so vividly, the honking of horns, the playing of music. So there was music playing in the background, the village people, YMCA of all things, which is a, a standard Trump rally song, Sweet Caroline, other numbers were playing in the background as she was talking to frontline health workers. 
And we were standing about 10 feet or so away in this uh, long conference table that she has, watching as she was talking on a Zoom call with these frontline workers. And she asked them what advice they would give her to try and make her case to Michigan residents why they should stay home. She said, clearly I'm not getting through. She described it as one of the lowest days of her times as governor. They're so frustrated by not being able to get through. And David, I remember the tone of voice from an ICU nurse from a Royal Oak, Michigan. She said, you should tell them that people die alone. I have watched for the last four weeks as so many people have died alone. It's unrelenting, it's exhausting. So tell them about their, you know, their grandmother, their grandfather, their aunt, their uncle. They will die alone. So very stark message there on the other line um, of this Zoom conference call from this ICU wow. nurse who's been on the front line. So David, it was, uh, that transcends politics, but clearly politics is now part of this because of her decision to do what she believes needs to be done to uh, stop the spread of this. So uh, we don't know where this is going medically or politically here, but uh, massive challenges. And the death toll is the death toll. And regardless of protests, that's only rising. It's not going down, obviously. Uh, very quickly before we go, one pure politics question. Did you get her sense about uh, how she feels about being on Joe Biden's shortlist as a potential VP candidate? Well, it's clear that I actually asked her, are people protesting you because you are being mentioned by Joe Biden, by his own admission, that uh, she's on the shortlist? And she said, look, I was elevated into the national spotlight because of Donald Trump, not because of Joe Biden. And that's true. But look, she gave a very uh, practiced answer to whether uh, she would serve. She didn't say she wouldn't, of course, but she said she's very flattered and humbled to be uh, mentioned in the group of uh, other women leaders. Uh, but she said it's never been her aspiration to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, look, I mean, the reality is she ran on a campaign to fix the damn roads in 2018. That was her little, little slogan. Now her future uh, is going to be determined on how she weathers this economic and pandemic storm here. So she very much is uh, of the mind that, you know, she's mindful of being on this uh, list. This is out of her hands. So she has uh, quite a challenge in front of her in terms of what the next chapters of this are, because uh, Michigan is not out of the woods yet by any means. And you can see that, uh, you know, worried look on her face and certainly in her voice. Yeah. Just hearing you say it, Jeff, you know, she and Donald Trump are in the same boat. Their political futures will depend on how they respond to the pandemic and to the economic fallout thereafter. So in that sense, they have a lot in common. Jeff Zeleny, CNN senior Washington correspondent, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, David. Thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you on Monday. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.